Hey there, it's Giovanni and you are listening to the Lost Student Podcast. In today's episode, I'm bringing a friend from South Africa, Brandon Lowe, who is the co-founder of Metalabs, VR Events and Forge. And more than just an interview, Brandon is giving us a true immersive experience from dealing with adversity, dealing with ADHD, learning to recognize patterns, understanding the South African market and much more. And now on with the show. I'm an artist at heart. And my choices in life has led me to live a life of an entrepreneur. It's taken me into spaces as a photographer, mainly where I started over a decade ago. Uh, it's taken me into producing for virtual reality productions, into the metaverse in terms of NFTs and uh, even drones. <laughs> so, so that's me in a nutshell. Everything that's fun, adventurous and beautiful. What was the first company? First company in the process of starting? Because you, you explain here that you found out that there were so many things that you wanted to do. And I know that when you want to build a company, there are a lot of things that are very process driven. How did you navigate that starting the first company? Was that managing a lot? Just believing that you start and you figured it out? What was the name of the company and how was the process for you? Thanks for that. That's a good question. So my first brainchild was VR events. I guess the events part was because I was still in events, very much thought I'd, I'd take this company into events. And uh, where that started, I actually won this VR headset through a competition. <laughs> I didn't even spend a lot of money on the competition. I think I bought like 90% of the one guy's pool. I ended up winning. But the money went for charity. So I was like, either I win or the charity wins. But it, I won more than I could ever imagined. This headset, the VR headset really inspired me because at the time my ca camera equipment was stolen. I was in events. So the only really creative outlet I had was this VR headset. And uh, a good friend of mine and mentor asked me, why can't we watch this like soccer in VR? I was like, it's a good question. But I only learned about a year later that we don't have that kind of infrastructure in South, in South Africa. So a lot of, and I was very fortunate, like you said, like family was, they supported me fully. I had Nigel, who was my mentor, who I had that conversation with. He supported me fully. He loved the idea. He was my business kind of mentor for the first, I'd say 12 to 24 months of the business. And I'd follow him and follow him in meetings that even I wasn't really a part of just to learn And um, we brought on board another guy, Shane Marks from Renderheads, really amazing company. They do immersive kind of interactive experiences. And so they really helped me in terms of support at Nigel through education, like how I should run a company and what I do's and don'ts. Shane on the development side of things, which left me to navigate the business, to sit down with the team and say, I think as much as VR and soccer sounds cool, I think education would be much better or virtual tours or did I say commercials, commercials education. So, so those are like really big things, no brainer. So we kind of went into that. We did a little bit of R&D on live streaming, but still struggling with that infrastructure. But I was left fully with studying again every single day because like you said, there wasn't much support other than that. The industry of virtual reality essentially from my experience, was created by a handful of people in our country. I and mean, as much as I have part in that industry, I don't own it. There's guys in, in Joburg that do a lot of interesting stuff. And it's interesting. It's still a very small group of people. Some guys do 
VFX, some guys do filming like myself, other guys just work on hardware. But essentially, it's still a very small industry in South Africa. And the support we have is ourselves. We're on a WhatsApp group, all of us. We're always asking each other questions. But here, we don't have any other support than our own kind of training and knowledge and helping each other, as opposed to like Europe, where you see these studios, studios pop up everywhere. And moving into the next space, because it wasn't only the the first company that you had, you started another one, right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, so when VR events started, obviously, like I said, the goal was to do like live streaming. And then we did commercials and virtual tours and bespoke stuff. But we found that the, the at the time, the virtual tours were just taking off so quick that we, we, we couldn't really pitch to our clients like, hey, we do all of this and virtual tours. So we made a subsidiary and... And that's called Forge. So Forge really only does virtual tours. If you have a yacht, if you have a house, we'll do a virtual tour of it. VR Events is the production house. Through this, all of these journeys and my fine art journey as well, I found myself in the NFT space and the crypto space. That is and how we met, actually. That's how we met, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that was around the start of it, you know, and then... Uh, luckily, through through VR events, I had learned this habit of learning, of being a lifelong student. So I'm always learning. I'm always reading about stuff. And around the time I met you, we were actually going to start another company. <laughs> it was going to be called something like SA Tech Labs because we, it was very apparent that there's a lot of, like what we were saying, there's a lot of creative people in South Africa, but there's lack of opportunity for them. So the idea was for us to create this lab where all these creatives can come together and we can support them. But with COVID and everything, it didn't really quite stick until people came and he sold this 6.8 billion rand NFT and were like, that's it. We got to go into NFTs. And uh, we started uh, Meta Labs Africa. I mean, Meta, everyone knows Meta. So we jumped on that train and uh, we just ran with it. We're like, look, we're just going to approach agencies. If they want to hop into the metaverse, we'll tell them the do's and don'ts. And we just struck luck. We we did a campaign for Volkswagen, launched over 100 NFTs, created a little community for them. We did a small campaign for Mr. Price where they handed out vouchers like 10,000 Rand per NFT. And then our most recent two was two campaigns for Savannah where we also had like part fashion, part community building NFTs. You, you, you also mentioned about education and you said that you had a project for children, right? So, so yeah, the, uh, the, that was a, a commercial we did, a short, I think it ran for like five minutes. We, we pushed it to a Oculus Quest and an Oculus Go. And uh, that was for Doctors Without Borders. So it was this commercial shot in the form of a first person. The first scene we shot was in a bedroom and the actor was lying under the bed voicing over while the camera was acting as him. <laughs> so it's a very interesting setup when you walk onto a VR set because it's very much like a closed set because the camera see everything that you got to hide things in weird places. But yeah, that, that was the commercial and uh, it was then sent all across South Africa to different activation centers and we then showed children and youth and adults this experience of this young man waking up, getting a reminder that he needs to go for a checkup. You go through the checkup, it's called all cool. And then he gets this like this guy on his shoulder keeps tempting him about this girl that's messaging him. And we, we take you through this journey. We actually gets really tempted to have sex with this woman with or without a condom. And Essentially, what we try to do is we really try to put someone in that space 
with facing those kind of questions and being faced with the possibility of contracting HIV. And we really saw like people come out of that either shocked or in awe or like excited. Obviously, like the VR gets you excited, but majority of them really had a second thought of like, what did I just experience? And further than that, what we also realized in, in like putting someone into a VR environment versus giving them a pamphlet on HIV is we see like a 70 to 120% retention memory increase. That is insane. Because like essentially you've got now not just your eyes, your ears are activated, your senses because you're moving around, you might be trying to touch things. So your whole body is kind of involved in this learning experience. In the cameras, the way we filmed the commercial, we also prompted people to first they look at like, I'm looking at you now, and then I'm like, I have to look behind me, then I have to look to my left. So it's really kind of engaging with people. So, so yeah, that's what it was all about. And I just, I just love that stat, like 70 to 120%. And, and that's for me where the, the, the technology really gets beautiful. If we can solve the barriers of like finances and getting this tech smaller, more compact to like different kind of activation sensors, we can see even higher numbers, maybe up to like 200% memory retention. Would, would that make any change in the passing of information? Because we often speak about the problems that we have in Africa with access to education. Then you have one teacher for 40, 50, 60, sometimes 100 kids, and sometimes they're under a tree. So there are a lot of those physical things that we spoke about that are in your industry in terms of infrastructure. However, you said that there is the mind side. And what I'm interested in learning and knowing from you, if we had to combine the VR space, what are some of the things that we might see coming out of that? Uh, another great question. I love education questions. <laughs> I think a, f- a funny thing though is it, it all starts with education. For this technology really to work, it, the people who are using it need to understand it first. And that's really where a lot of our conversations in the office happens. We sit with subject curators and subject experts and we really kind of rip their subject apart and like look at it in deep detail and see what can of this can we translate into a VR experience. And once we understand that and once they understand the capabilities of VR, that's when we can see change happen. Because then we can take whatever experience and we can look at Africa, which has got a lot of farmlands. You can film an entire 20-minute experience of farming, you know, locust infestations, how to farm, how to do your seeds. And rather than taking those 100 school kids somehow from like, 80 kilometers away to the farmlands who they shouldn't even be there. You can take one of these headsets to the school and it doesn't even have to be a fancy one. You can use like a Google Cardboard headset with a phone and you can just run that 360 video. That alone is immersive enough for kids to be like, whoa, I just, I read about farming, but I actually, I was just farming a second ago in VR. So it's, it's like a really a multifaceted approach. We have to start with education. What are some of the challenges that you say are just infrastructure? And what are some of the things that you believe are just mental looking at you? If you have been able to bend so many things to get where you are, what are the things on infrastructure and what are the things that are a mindset? 
I'm glad that I can think about the second while one while answer the first. Obviously, uh, we have a lot of physical things that are inhibiting us from like fully getting people to experience this technology. One being bandwidth of internet and then the cost around the hardware. Essentially, if we want to look at like education, ideally you want to take one of these experiences that teaches you about the, the safety of HIV and AIDS and you want to take it to a rural district and you want to have 100 kids view it, which we've done but it's a lot of money to do that. And essentially you want these kids to be able to access it just like this with no problem. So in, in one way, like that's the opportunity, but there's also opportunity to make that better. So to fix the infrastructure, to make the tech smaller or to make it more accessible in ways of like get pushing these kind of experiences to mobile devices or training centers where everyone can congregate together. So, so those are definitely uh, physical ones. Mentally, <laughs> I've had to learn to slow down my mind a lot. But I think that was my, my biggest mental challenge as someone with ADHD and that's got a lot of things going on. I've, through exercise and meditation and yoga, it's really helped me just dumb my mind down so I can focus better and manage all of these kind of facets. How has that been for you, not being able to concentrate on just one thing? How was that experience for you? So a little background, I did homeschooling. I actually jobs out of school as well, <laughs> not just university. And this was because of my ADHD and my dyslexia. I was really struggling. And um, my parents were superb helping me through this time. And it was around like the high school phase of homeschooling when I did it, when uh I really learned what ADHD meant for me. And as much as my brain is super hyperactive and like at, at first it would control my life, when I managed to learn to control my thoughts, I had so much extra time to... It was almost like a superpower. I can wake up early in the morning. I can push a few deadlines out. I can have a tea break, but then I can do it again because I have all this energy. But there's certain things like I always have a book next to me to write my notes in. I have two. I have a big, big one. I have another small one. I have my cell phone that's full of reminders and calendars. So I've learned to live a very organized life. And it's for that reason that I can fill up my mind in space and like think more clearer. Also, the meditation in the morning is like my numero uno. <laughs> I wake up, I feed my dog, I get in the shower and I meditate. If my day doesn't start like that, it's always my brain starts first. And if I don't start my brain first, then it's going to control the, my whole day. And I love it that you, you, you start before your brain starts and you, you deal a lot with virtual reality. And what's your definition of reality? In, in terms of questioning what reality is, I think a lot of our realities get warped too often by our careers, by our friends, by our families and social media. Many times, I think one would wake up and the first thing you do is you open up Instagram or social media. But if you think about it, that's a whole other reality. You're looking into other people's realities. So when I think about my own reality, I think it comes down to choices a lot and the choices we make. So like I said earlier, when I wake up, the first thing I do is I, I shower, feed, feed my dog, shower and meditate because I'd rather choose my reality over someone else's reality. So I try and really live. I don't like drinking much. I don't like partying much. I mean, everyone loves partying, but I, I really try and suck out as much life as I can around me as often as I can, as opposed to 
finding escapism in things like TV and stuff because I like the reality that I'm in. I like being uncomfortable, sitting here, being faced with questions that I've never thought of. So for me, that is my reality and I enjoy the purest form of it. What are some of the things that you that you were seeing that we, we might experience in the next five to six years based on the things that you guys have achieved in South Africa in the next six years? I think um, th there's a whole lot of like different kind of opinions on what Meta has done to the Meta Metaverse. I love what they did. They put a big flashlight on it and everyone got excited about it. And then they failed, which is okay. People fail, they'll hop back. Apple's going to come back and show us a whole new headset. So I think in the terms of VR space, we're still going to go through a lot of what we call price innovation cycles. Prices are going to go up, innovation is going to go up, it's, demand's going to go up and it's going to drop and it's going to keep cycling for the next five years. But every time that happens, we, we have these small steps closer to like solving these problems that we spoke about earlier. And uh, in terms of the Web3 space, it's very interesting. That the space, as new as it is, it's still been around for a long time, very similar to like when Web1 came around. If you know how to build a website, you can do it. And everyone else, you can't. Well, sorry. <laughs> and then there was like Web2 and like, you know what? Okay, come, come build a website, but we're going to take all your information. So there's this space where we now is Web3 where you don't really have to be a programmer to get involved. So you can, but there's a lot to learn. So in the next three years, we're in this space where if you really want to get involved, you have to start learning. Every single day, you have to read some kind of an article on either crypto or blockchain or the new Ethereum upgrade. So we're going to... But that being said, the technology at this point is moving so quick that there are communities that are really trying to make this accessible to anyone so that you don't have to go and download a MetaMask wallet to get this NFT to be a part of this community. It's starting to be as simple as go to this website and pay for the NFT with your credit card the same way you would buy something off Takealot or Amazon. So I think what we'll see is this space open up more to people who are non-tech-friendly but are interested in this space. So we'll see a lot of that more happen. And in terms of like corporates, I think a lot of the corporates are still going to spend a lot of money on these campaigns just to educate their following. But that also, you know, these, these are the kind of things that has to happen if we really want to see a true kind of future in the Web3. People have to start spending money. They have to make a few campaigns that aren't going to work, but that are, are going to get people excited. And that's where, when it comes to Meta Labs Africa, we're very adamant on like, build your community, educate your community. Because if you lose that education, you just hand out NFTs, then everyone's walking around with a digital asset they have no idea what to do with. <laughs> Will it take us a lifetime to get to the place where you envisioned, for example, where you have different communities inside of Meta Labs and, and many other companies participating on that? Will it take us a lifetime? And uh, what are some of the things that we can start doing to prepare people to get into that space and understand a bit more? As you said, we need to do reading, but some of the reading is still in English. There are people that struggle with that. Some of the terms are really complex if you haven't been in that space for a long time. So your, uh, I'll get your feedback on that. How It's a very interesting question. And it, it, it does make me wonder because... If you had asked me this five years ago or 10 years ago, 
let's say six years ago when I started the business, I would have told you that we're here now, which we're not. <laughs> but in my new estimates, if I have to really think about it with my experience now, we are looking at like, let's, let's call it a five to 10 year mark. In the next five years, we'll see a lot of iteration in terms of the VR technology. Apple is going to bring out the first version is probably not going to be great. Like no first versions are great. <laughs> And I think with the, with the injection of artificial intelligence, a lot of these metrics can get thrown upside down. Artificial intelligence is already at a point where it's more intelligent than half of the population on this planet. So that's 4.4 billion people. And in terms of like South Africa, if we're talking about like Cape Town, as much as we always try and look at like what America is doing, which is great and Europe. I think it's it's a great space to be in a third world country because we can look at what they're doing, we can look at what we're doing, and we can actually fill in some gaps which they don't have. A lot of their production houses work, but they won't work in South Africa because we have such a different kind of dynamic and cultures. People don't always understand the technology. So it's going to take us longer, but I think we're in such a special place and because if we have such a vast kind of access to creatives that we might even become stronger in some points than across like European and American and or Northern markets, because they're all kind of like stealing and doing from each other, you know, doing the same thing. Here, we're always looking at innovating for this specific market. So everything that will inevitably happen here will be different than the European markets. If you look at the NFT space, there's a lot of cool marketplaces where you can go and buy NFTs and they work. But if you look at the South African marketplaces, it's very much more posed and poised towards supporting artists in terms of like, there's this place called Moment. And even communities, because they wanted to bring Moment, because they're getting into the solar now to help so solve the problem with electricity. I love those guys. They're, they're really doing a good job. And I, I love posting my work on there as well, because I, I can put my work on OpenSea and maybe I'll get a sale. But... Essentially, I also want people who can't afford my work to have it. So if I put it on moments, if you're like really a collector, you can buy one of my pieces. If you just want to own one, or maybe you want to own something from another artist in Cape Town, you can just collect it and tip them for free. And that's like a business model that's not found in any other marketplace across the NFT space and globally. So it's just these niche kind of special solutions that we're creating. And it might take just as long as the European markets or the Northern markets, but it will be way more special. You mentioned the implications. Now I want to know, because you, you said that it will take corporate a lot of learning. We, we need to invest and continuously work on, on, on development to know what works and what doesn't. So either way, we need to put in some cash and burn some resources on that or invest in that. There are implications for corporate. They have a lot of resources to learn. What about the smaller? Yeah. They they don't have a lot of money to, you know, spend a thousand US dollars, even a thousand rents to spend on a campaign. That's also, I think, partly if you look at like the, the Web2 space we're in, everything demands money. If you want to put a campaign out, you got to pay for it. If you want to put your files online, it's some kind of a like uh, subscription fee. Or if you even want to manage your team, monday.com, you got to pay for that stuff. A lot of these solutions which might be like office solutions, could be as simple as that, which is managerial solutions. A lot of these things can be solved by blockchain for free. So I think that's also the promise of blockchain, 
that a lot of these things you don't have to pay for and where traditionally in the Web2 space you had to pay for. Um, currently, I'm managing a team <laughs> where we use Wonderverse. It's like Monday.com, but I don't pay anything for it. I just log in with my Discord or my MetaMask or my Twitter accounts. I've got my team members. I've got my tasks. But it's for free. I remember starting at the first time, I was like, do you guys use Monday.com? They're like, no, we use this free thing. I'm like, that's beautiful. That's that's the beauty of the blockchain. So I think a lot of these, and that's also like where a lot of these solutions are becoming more mainstream. So we'll see a lot of this filter into smaller companies as much as it will fall into like the corporate side of things as well. But um, there's, there's, there's a lot of these smaller kind of things that I think small companies can benefit from. In terms of producing locally things that are developed in the country, are there a lot of tools that we can use that are developed, let's say in South Africa or Namibia that is not so far, or Zimbabwe, Zambia, Botswana, or, and, and how is the collaboration? Are there tools coming out of South Africa, going to those markets and coming from those markets to South Africa? And how is, is there collaboration between companies, entities, do you guys collaborate with companies in Namibia and all of that? Uh, so if we're talking about the, the Web3 space, that's still very much new. But in terms of the, like the VR space, this this uh, chat group I'm on, We Are VR South Africa on WhatsApp, these guys are often collaborating with each other across South Africa, always connecting VR entrepreneurs, whether they're like animators or whether they cinematographers or videographers, photographers, these guys are always kind of getting together through Electric South or South South, these other collaboration companies, and they have workshops. Uh, on the group, I often see like at least three, four times a year, they have some kind of a workshop where they'll get together and they're like, okay, today we got to figure out drone solutions or VR solutions. But it's all very much in this future tech space. So in terms of collaboration, personally, my company, my team, not as much. We get solutions from, from neighboring countries as much as we use, we use more international kind of software and stuff. But the teams and the, the creatives we get are often collaborating. So there's, so there's a space, you know, uh, let, let me phrase it this way. This is, there's often these headlines, VR is dead and the metaverse is dead. And I, I'm always laughing because I know that there's this community that will never give up on it because it's all we have. It's what we wake up for. We want to be creative, create these immersive experiences. So as much as you see those headlines, I can promise you there's a diehard community <laughs> that's backing the entire Africa. What is creativity for you? And you can give us a description. Let's say Brandon, 10 years ago, coming out of school or any training, formal training, Brandon used to say, you know, to be creative, I, I don't think I'm creative. Well, I think I'm super creative and I'm super special. And Brandon, today, what's your definition of creativity and has that definition changed for you? I think as someone who, who struggles or struggled with dyslexia and ADHD, I've, I've learned to use that as a creative outlet and use that to, to fuel my creativity a lot. As a young, uh, young child, even uh, I'd, <laughs> me and my brothers would play outside in the garden and I'd film them doing like a, a bar one commercial. But the, the, the mechanics we had was a hose pipe and a camera that was made out of paper. And I just drew a camera on it. 
<laughs> so my creative outlet from from childhood was like drawing stuff and making these these 3D like crocodile out of paper or an airplane. So it's very much, uh, I think if you look at like the intelligence, I'm really high up on spatial intelligence. My eyes, when I walk into a room, I just see colors and different things and my brain starts firing up. And throughout the years, I've just learned to hone that skill. Uh, When I look through a camera lens, uh, when producers talk to me about what they want on set, it's, it's very much a visual process for me where... I will look at something and I'll analyze it. My logic will tap in a little bit, <laughs> but then I'll just dive it back to the creativity. And very practical. For me, it's a very practical thing. It's not creativity. Sometimes it's come out in writing lately, but for the most part, I, I like working with my hands. And if I can't do it with a camera, I'll be out about in the house and fixing stuff like cupboards or building something. And the entrepreneurial side of that was that intuitive as well was that you figured it out that in order to express as you wanted to express yourself the 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 things that you see that you believe that were unique in a way that you perceive the world and you understand and you you express yourself was that that pushed you into entrepreneurship or was more of a necessity because you felt that perhaps you wouldn't find the workspace that provided you the tools that you needed to flourish where can you can you take us on that i I think it's more the latter of your question um it was more of a necessity at at the time when i started my venture into into vi it it was about half a decade into my photography experiences very much still hobbyist but at the time i'd left university to fully pursue my career in events which also at some point I was like, I don't really want to do this my whole life. I want to be a creative. I want to work with cameras. So that's where the necessity came in. I didn't really have a choice to go back to to study IT. It wasn't something I really wanted to do. So I, I had this vision of cameras and virtual reality and creating immersive content. I was lucky to be in a space where these conversations were happening. So it did spark that creativity. But I also knew that someone who was 24 at the time if I'm looking at 31 day, what, what am I going to be left with? Am I still going to be running events and managing people? Or do I want to do that on like a different scale, like a creative scale? And that's where the creativity kind of like kept biting at me. But it was out of necessity that I started the company at first. And I guess the creative juices were just like the sugar on top, kind of glazing it over, making sure it looks nice. And going going to the question about family, because you mentioned Nigel here, you mentioned the support of your parents. What was the, if you could measure that, the support that you got from your family, especially knowing, because you mentioned, well, I couldn't really sit in in school and have that formal approach and the common approach that most people have. How was, how would you describe that, the, the, the support and all of that? Yeah, it's like it's just the question makes me speechless. Almost thinking about how, how amazing my parents were <laughs> growing up. Um, it's funny when you said that; it made me think of this. Of this uh, the one day my mom I was very small. I must have been like twelve years old. My mom was like, "Just sit down for me. Just sit on this seat. Let's see how long you can sit down." I don't think it was five seconds. <laughs> and that's around the time we're like, okay, we got to like figure out what's going on here, and. So much so that because my parents found out that I was ADHD, that it triggered something in my mother that she ended up studying uh, psychology and religion and then further going into special needs. 
So like the, the support system has always been like a feedback loop in, in my family. Like if there's a problem, my parents are always there for us and they'll support us. When I wanted to leave university, my mom was like, well, it's your choice, but just be sure you have a backup, but we'll support you. And uh, so they've always been supportive in, in terms of my brother's fashion career and my older brother leaving the country to go work abroad as well, which he's been for almost a decade now. So very, very supportive family. And also lucky in my business space where Nigel, my mentor, has always been there for me. I can phone him anytime and be like, Nigel, I need maybe some cash flow, maybe some advice on this. Like he's, he's always been there. It's, it's just, I've never actually ran into a problem where I've had lack of mentorship or support in terms of that. So how important is that sense of community in entrepreneurship, especially in your, your space, cre creative or well, defining creative here? I think, I think the, the idea of community is greatly underrated. I think in terms of a question, I have a lot of friends who are also entrepreneurs. And as one myself, it, it can get very lonely because you're always out there fighting for yourself. Sometimes it feels like you're cruising this yacht and like you're a one-man cruise ship. <laughs> But it's, and that's where community comes in play. It's important to like sit down with your community and your friends and your family or in similar spaces and just talk about it and realize that we're all sailing ships here. <laughs> and it is chaos, but you know, it's, it's why we, it's why we creative. And in like communities itself, there's a lot of this idea that the governments of America and South Africa are going to change things for us. But truly, I think at the end of the day, if we want to see any kind of change, global or local, it starts with the community. And for me as an entrepreneur, every time I've been on a low and I needed to change, it's, it's been my friends, my family and my community that gets me out of it. So it's, it's really essential community to, to have that. And do you, do you describe that as a family? Do you describe best friends? What's your, your idea on family? Do you, it's family the people closest to you, bloodline or you? You don't have to be my blood to be my family. <laughs> my, my family is too big to count at this point with between my mentors and my friends. Yeah, no, family goes beyond blood. Yeah, for sure. Meditation and yoga, you mentioned that you do that in the morning. What's the role of that in your life? You said you need to meditate in order to get in a space where your mind doesn't run you, but you're running the ship. How has it been for you being, well, having what you explained to us, how meditation, yoga? Growing up, I wasn't really much into sports. That was my twin brother and my older brother's thing. I was more the, obviously, computers and IT and stuff like that. I did have a bit of new, new problems to the sports that I did do, which was like parkour and ice hockey. So I kind of took a break from sport for a long time because of two knee ups down and It was when COVID actually broke out and it was like, you know, that month where everything was on lockdown, my brother and I downloaded this yoga app and I'm like, let's just do some yoga. Got to loosen up the body a bit. <laughs> But the first thing I noticed was how it fixed my knee. And then I got my mobility back so I could do parkour again. I was like, okay, this is interesting. So my body, I could see a total shift in my body. And the more I studied yoga in terms of like what it actually means and the history of it, the more I learned that there's more than just moving your body, there's meditation as well. A little bit of books that I borrowed from my mom's religious studies, I learned a little, I dove deeper and deeper and deeper. 
and like not just religion books, like uh, the monk who sold his Ferrari, mastery, like books like that as well. I remember there was one book that said like, if you want to meditate, just sit down on a chair with your coffee, with a flower, with tea, just sit down for a minute, sit down for five minutes. If you can't do one, five, do one minute, do it tomorrow again and do it for a month until you're bored. But I can promise you this, after a month, you're going to sit there and like, you know what? I might as well do it for 10 minutes. <laughs> I don't have to sit here for one minute. And, and that's kind of the journey I went through because I knew from what I'd learned or read that it's good for me, but sitting there is very uncomfortable because <laughs> your mind's racing, your back gets sore. Like, I don't want to sit here. I've got work to do. So it was this, this long journey that's been like f- almost four years now. And meditation, I didn't take seriously. The yoga I did, and the yoga completely changed my life. I now attend yoga classes. I'm pretty good at it, I guess. I love it. <laughs> but the the meditation really started sometime last year, August. I was like, okay, I really need to sit down. And uh, before we actually went live, you asked me how am I doing. I was like, look, you would have been a different question answer if you asked me this a oh, month ago. <laughs> no, it, it would have been a different answer because. There was this point in Jan uh, up until April, March, where I was like, did I make the right decision going into VR? Like, where is this industry? It's quiet, but that's just generally because like the metaverse and AI is throwing shade over all of it. But I was in this space of what am I going to do? I was like, you know what? I'm just going to quiet my mind. And it took me five months of sitting down every morning. Ah, I missed a few mornings, but consecutively I tried for the past five months, just sit down. And I promise you, for the first time this month, things just, they just worked. My mind's quieter. I remember sitting down. I was like, wow, my mind's actually not that busy this morning. It's just weird. Your, your chemicals, I believe, in your, your, in your brain physically start changing. So, so that's what it is for me. In the studies, what are some of the things that you've discovered that you would like to share with people about religion and all of the reading that you have been doing, all of the wisdom that you have collected that you really want to share that you're like, you know what, if I just, yeah, I, people need to know that. It's a scary question because religion is a very personal thing. And and I don't want to sh- throw, I'm not going to throw shade on anyone's religion or say yours is wrong or not. Uh, I love all religions. Uh, I grew up Christian in Gekark. I left late years just because I thought there was more to life than that. And that's also why I started learning about the rest. And like I said, from, from Hinduism, I learned meditation. From Christianity, I learned to respect people and my parents and my family. From Buddhism, I also learned some other meditation stuff. And a lot of the philosophies, if, if you look at like the history of God, there's this book actually called The History of God by Karen Armstrong. And it talks about like the first God that people believed in, like the river gods and the sky gods. And what was truly interesting through the journey of reading that book was to see how everyone just wants to believe in something, you know, and that comes down to that community thing. It's all about community and belief systems and stuff like that. And I think the most beautiful thing I found was that, you know, we're all actually interconnected. All these religions very much stem from similar belief systems or philosophies. And I think there's a lot we can learn from other religions, if, if we stop looking at our own ego and saying like, oh, but my religion says this, if you just start to listen to someone else's religion, you're like, it's actually so beautiful. It's similar to learning a new language. 
when you learn a new language, it's you're adopting the culture as well. It's not just, you know, what you're saying to me. So if you're learning a new religion, it's, it's that culture, it's the food, it's the music. So it's more than just your belief system that I'm adopting. It's all of it. I'm learning to appreciate who you are as a human. And I think that's the most beautiful thing about religion. It humanizes us. And a knowledge, your understanding of it and your experience of transforming information into knowledge. Yeah, if, if you asked me this at school, I would have told you to throw the books away. <laughs> I hated reading. I hated sitting in class. I think it only really became apparent to me as an entrepreneur that learning is important. And not only that, there, there was this time, it was like a three-year difference where I didn't want anything to do with studying. But then I was like, you know, it's fun. If I want to learn something, I should just read something every day. So when I think about knowledge, I just think about learning something new every day. It, if it's an article on Oumuamua who's traveling in space, <laughs> or if it's an article on NFTs, I just daily opening up my Google and just giving it a scroll. And we're like, oh, that's an interesting article. It's just being like a lifelong teacher. If I think about knowledge, that's what I think about now. Being a lifelong student. Student, yeah. student sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, no worries. Brandon, I mentioned that in the first episode, and I think I'm going to keep mentioning that. The 16, it's Rick Ross and Andre 3000, when 16 ain't enough. And th that song speaks to me because I used to write and I used to have a studio. And I always felt like, You know what? Sometimes you don't have to explain a lot. You, you you can have a one hour. And from that one hour, if you just look at that again, which is what I believe I'll do with this interview, I'll listen to that 30 times and then I'll call you and say, Brandon, you told me something here. Look what I've got from what you said. It was enough time to do what we had to do today. I, I believe that we, we achieved, or at least I achieved what I was looking for, was learning more about your How do you combine that, the creative aspect or in the way that you describe creativity and the entrepreneurial side of things, which is taking risks and bending reality and going at it and throwing yourself and saying, you know what, I'll come down, persevere, and I'm pretty sure everything will be fine. If I just continue on that, it will be fine. If I'm going to give you a space to... Give us your truth. It, it, I guess if I could share anything from my experience, it would be that if, if you find yourself in an uncomfortable position or you're scared of like a, an upcoming interview or being an entrepreneur, well, I'm sure my twin brother would find himself very soon when he does his own label, <laughs> then stay there. Because it's, it's in these uncomfortable positions that we really get the most out of life where we're challenged to look deeper and to persevere. And it's mostly in those times when we do succeed that, you know, the strength comes. Half the time when you're on a new journey, you're mostly scared. And that should be a good indicator. And it's only when you're like halfway into the journey or when you've completed that journey, when you find the courage. So don't, don't wait on courage to start a new label or to do something new. Just dive in. Make sure you've, you've done your homework. But don't be scared. I think uh, if the fear faces you, then you're in the right place. And just face it on. I'd be like a salmon. <laughs> just keep going upstream. Because if you go back, there's a few bears waiting for you. And that's not fun. <laughs> <sighs> 
Thank you very much, Brandon. It was, as I said, it it's not only an honor because I, I, I envisioned that conversation for a very long time from the moment that we were working together in the DAO. And I do believe that there is a lot coming from you with all the skill sets that you've been collecting and combining and trying to link dots that you find in, in your studies of religion, of education, of the VR space, of cameras. What we will see in the continent and speaking in, in South Africa, a lot of that has to do with the things that you've already created in the future. It is a lot coming in the future because of the work that you have been doing and the work that you're doing. So thank you very much for that. And as I said, it has been an honor and a true pleasure to have you in this conversation. Thank you too, Giovanni. It's, I, I wish everyone listening could see the smile on my face. now. <laughs> that was a really beautiful outro and I've, I've really had an amazing time sitting here with you and just conversing sharing some some of my experiences with you and i'm really excited to see the future as well of of this space all of the web3 the vr space and uh if anyone's listening to this and they meet me afterwards i'm I'm super happy to meet you and thanks for listening just before you close give them your handles your website and i'm, I'm gonna post that as well but you can mention that some of the work that you guys are doing some of the future things collaboration if people want to get in touch and participate any of the projects that you want to mention you, you can mention here yeah you can find me at uh at brendan low that's most of my handles or vr events that or meta labs and that is it for today. Thank you, Brandon, for being with us. Thank you for the amazing stuff at the Ikaya Lodge. And for you, thank you very much. And see you until the next conversation. Please share it and don't forget to subscribe.